The Wintrust Business Lunch. Here's Elise Glink from thinkglink.com and Best Money Moves. Hi, Elise. Welcome back. Hey, nice to be here, John. I thought Amazon was in the Dow. I should know better. (laughs) Well, I don't know. There are 30 companies that are in the Dow Jones Industrial Average, right? The Dow, as we like to call it. And um, typically, they are the biggest, strongest companies in the country, uh, in the world, actually, in in most cases, because they're all global. And we, I, like you, thought Amazon was already in it, but apparently it wasn't, and it's replaced Walgreens, which had the lowest stock price in the index and is down 68% in the past five years, which is stunning because I feel like there's a Walgreens on every block. Yeah, no kidding. Um, And then what does that mean? So Amazon's there. How will that change the index or anything else? Sure. So um, the way that the Dow is calculated is it, it it's a weighted average. So companies that are the biggest would get the most weighting when they create the average every day. So we report an average for the Dow Jones, but it doesn't mean that all 30 companies are sort of added together and divided by 30, right? That's what we typically think of as a as an average. But no, this is a weighted average. And so Companies that are larger wait a little bit more. Companies that are are lower priced, like what had happened with Walgreens, could weigh down the Dow and make the number lower relative to the S&P 500. And so when companies, the meaning of this, of course, is when we're looking to make an investment, we might might want to invest in stocks that track the Dow Jones or track the S&P 500. Exchange-traded funds are often used to do that. And if the Dow is looking like it's not performing as well, you, John, or me, I might choose to invest in a tracking stock for the S&P 500 um, or something different than actually doing something there. And, and they also want to be accurate as to what's happening in the marketplace for those stocks that they're tracking. But it would seem to me that given the strength of Amazon, I don't know what it's doing today or the, even this year, I don't know what their year over year is, but it would seem to me like uh, that would somehow change if you were in an index fund just because of its inclusion, how the Dow is performing, right? Well, what's interesting is that there are seven companies often referred to as the Magnificent Seven, right? It's Meta, which used to be Facebook, NVIDIA, which is making the chips that power all of AI, I think, or just about all of AI, Tesla, Alphabet, Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. Those companies, and I don't have the exact number, but those companies represent the biggest jump in value for the S&P 500. And in fact, The vast majority of growth that we're seeing in the stock market come from those seven incredibly well-performing high-tech stocks. And so now we've got Amazon joining Apple and Microsoft. Those three companies are part of the Dow, and the other four are not included, but all seven of them are in the S&P 500, and a bunch of them um, are in NASDAQ. And so it's interesting to just uh, see how the calculation is changing both The companies that we think are valuable, or I should say the Dow thinks are valuable, more tech stocks and uh, retail, which is what Walgreens is at the end of the day, um, falling out. And it just reflects the changes going on in our society as well. Trying to think of what Amazon is. Is that a retail stock? Is that a tech stock? It's got its feet in both spaces, right? 
It's got its feet everywhere. I mean, Amazon is selling, started out selling books. Now it sells everything on the planet. But it also has uh, Amazon Web Services, right? So it's got the cloud, which has powered a huge amount of its value. And I think that's why most people think of it as a tech stock rather than a retail stock. It is amazing to me, you pointed out to Pete, how many online accounts folks have. Can you talk about that? Well, I'd be happy to. It turns out, John, we each have an average of 100 online accounts. Uh, what does that mean? What, what's an <laughs> online account? Like, I have account Walgreens, right? I have a username and password for Walgreens. Correct. I have one uh, for Spotify, might, my utility yeah. companies. That's three Cell phone companies, okay. uh, your web company, oh, uh, okay. if that's different, yeah. your... Spotify account, your podcast accounts, your uh, video accounts, your streaming services. Um, you may have an account like Sam's got one for the company that makes our uh, one of our cars, so he can turn on and off the car. He can lock the car from you know his cell phone. Our garage door opener, your security companies, your maybe you've got accounts with each of the three credit reporting bureaus. I could go on and on, John. <laughs> I guess so. And I wonder what the upshot of that is. Like, okay, maybe I'm surprised. I feel a little vulnerable with all of that exposure, though, in a way. Well, I think you should. I think we all are doing a very bad job in general of password management. And in fact, you know, we work closely with a global cybersecurity company because it turns out that some of the places that you use bad password management are in all of your financial accounts. So, <laughs> hello, welcome to getting hacked and all of your money disappearing. But I think, you know, when people think about online accounts, they don't take into account that almost everything you do these days happens online wirelessly, you know, with Wi-Fi from anywhere around the world. And when you start to look at all of those accounts from both a password management standpoint, just staying on top of your money, not falling for phishing schemes, it does make us very vulnerable. And we have to be very cautious when we go out into the world that our identities are not getting stolen and that our passwords aren't being compromised. Uh, and the more password accounts that you have, more online accounts, the more you have to stay on top of that and have some secret uh, long tail passwords that include numbers and uh, upper and lower case letters and all kinds of other uh, crazy symbols like, you know, exclamation marks or dollar signs or something just to make it very hard to break into. Amazon's in the Dow and Alicia just reminded us that you have online now, if you're on average, 100 accounts out there. So be careful about how exposed you are. Listen to this, at least. One of our listeners wrote, hey, John, you hit a nerve with me on the subject of refunds from class action lawsuits. Uh, it's not the same thing, of course, but we were talking about the $5 per account from AT&T, at least. Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, it's just one of those things where everybody gets a check, but it's very small and maybe the lawyers get a lot of money. Again, it just reminded me of class action suits. This listener says, I paid for Great America Passes for my wife and myself and our three kids and their significant others and two grandchildren for a total of 10 people. At the time, Great America had a new rule encouraging everyone to submit your fingerprints into their system. I told my wife at the time that the way they were doing it, that was illegal. Fast forward to some time later, someone sued Great America, and I got a message that for the next five years, 
I will be getting a check uh, for all 10 people that I paid for made out to each individual's name. I don't know what the total will be, but this year, each check for all 10 will be $28. I paid $800 for all 10 passes. So it looks like there will be a total reimbursement after all the checks are sent over the next five years. 28, 28, so $280 to the family this year. And for the next five years, that'll be over, that'll be 1400 bucks. How about that? Uh, that's actually pretty awesome. I haven't seen anything about that. Me neither. Uh, but Me neither. I will, you know, just to go back to what we were saying for online accounts, you know, there's a whole new wave of being able to do things with your, you know, your iris prints and your fingerprints, your hand prints, your thumb prints. Um, there's a lot of bio data that's being starting to be collected, and they're using it with artificial intelligence to help identify people a lot faster. For example, as uh, soon as you're going through uh, security at O'Hare, they're not even going to need to look at your driver's license or your ticket. What they're going to do is scan your face and your iris as you're walking through. And if you are cleared to go because it connects with a flight for that day and whatever it is, then they're going to let you go through. And if it doesn't, then you'll have to produce probably your your driver's license and your other thing. And if that doesn't work, you're not getting in. So they're doing uh, interesting things with your bio data. And I just would caution everybody to be very, very cautious about where you're putting that into play. Um, It's a little bit like what people found when they started sending things away to 23andMe, John, where uh, you know, there, it, it's great. Wow, you can find out like that the fact that you came from the Neanderthals or whatever uh, out, out in Europe, but they then own the right to your DNA and are able to do other things with it. And you may not want that going forward. It's one of the reasons why my family's chosen not to participate in that, but other people have. So just be careful where it goes. Uh, I got a minute left. Talk to me about the FTT suing the the FTC wants to block the Kroger-Albertsons deal? Yeah, that's interesting. It's a 24, almost $25 billion acquisition that Kroger is trying to make of the grocery store chain Albertsons. Um, we have, uh, you know, they own, I, I can't remember what the name of it here is in Chicago. They own something that's out here. But mostly this chain, uh, these this merger would happen in other places. But the FTC is afraid that this is going to somehow hurt competition in the grocery store industry. Largest supermarket deal. The FTC said this is going to mean higher prices at the grocery store with fewer supermarkets. Uh, reduce the ability of grocery store employees to negotiate for higher wages and better working conditions. And the FTC has actually turned down a number of these larger mergers over the years. Uh, They challenged the Amgen $28 billion acquisition of Horizon Therapeutics, Mm -hmm. JetBlue, you know, trying to take over Spirit, Microsoft trying to take over Activision Blizzard. A lot of these times FTC lost, right? But um, so they're going to put up uh, and try and block this. I, I don't personally see how this causes a bigger issue, but I'm not. Obviously, I haven't read the yeah. 10,000 pages of data, but um, the government is trying to be careful and make sure that employees are supported. Yeah, I get that. I don't want anybody to lose their job or be efficiencyed out, but the idea of Kroger and Mariano's merging sounded kind of good to me. 
Um, maybe because I don't love my Kroger so much. Uh, <laughs> but that's um, that's a story for another day. Okay, well, we'll talk more about that. I'm intrigued by that, too. Thank you very much, Elise. It's a pleasure, John. That's Elise Glink, owner of Think Glink Media and Best Money Moves. ThinkGlink.com is how you find her. Jim Dalkey, the national editor at ChicagoInno.com and American Inno. Hi, Jim. Welcome back to the show. How are you? Hey, John. Doing great. Thanks for having me. Two, three fascinating stories from you today. You know, we visited with the, um, I think it was the CFO, one of the people behind Halo, uh, the uh, local company with an intriguing Super Bowl ad. Uh, you wrote about that as well, didn't you? Yeah, we kind of did a debrief with the team. So I spoke with the CEO, uh, Alex Jones, uh, trying to get a sense for, uh, you know, what was the impact of their Super Bowl ad uh, after it aired? Um, and it was pretty significant. The company says um, that in the, four, in the four days uh, after the Super Bowl, they gained about two and a half million app downloads. It actually rocketed them up to number one in the in the Apple App Store charts. Uh, Hallo is a Catholic prayer app. They offer a Bible readings, meditations, and music, all a bunch of different kind of Catholic specific prayer related content. Um, you, know, you know, the CEO is telling me that no meditation or even fitness app has ever even cracked the top 10 in the app store. So the fact that they spent about 24 hours, uh, number one was a uh, pretty significant, you know, the team said that they, um, you know, the Super Bowl ad, it was not a national ad. They paid for it in about 14 of the largest markets. So that covered about half of CBS's viewing audience. So they paid uh, somewhere less than the $7 million a reported price tag for a 30 second ad. So uh, the founder would not um, tell me exactly how much they spent. So not a full price tag there, but still a, a certainly a good amount of money. And I really wanted to dive in to that specific issue was, if the question is a Super Bowl ad worth it for a startup, and I spoke to a marketing professor over at Northwestern's Kellogg School, and um, he said it can be a mixed bag. Startups are not, uh, you know, uh, new to the Super Bowl. We've seen startups advertise uh, newer brands advertise a ton. Um, we've had to, we've seen sort of mixed success. Uh, companies have kind of fallen flat. Um, other companies have have seen some success, and the challenge is that you're really competing. Um, you know, to get your, your new brand out there against very legacy storied brands, you know, Oreo, Doritos, you have Coke, Pepsi. These are brands that are very familiar to audiences. And a startup has the challenge of, of kind of breaking through that noise. But so far, early indications are that it was a successful ad for Halo. Yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, Pets.com in your story. And I wonder if the question is not the viability of the ad or the, say, value of the ad, but the viability of the company itself. Like maybe Pets.com wasn't going to go anyway. You know, it's not it's not so much the commercial; it's the underlying company. Absolutely, um, and you know, we saw a, a lot of examples of kind of you know internet brands that are really trying to take these big swings. You know, in 2011, Groupon was that that example, right? So Groupon, Chicago startup. This was before they went public. Um, you know, Groupon was, you know, at one, one point, the, you know, the fastest growing startup ever turned down a six billion dollar offer from Google. They're working to continue to get their name out there. And they did that sort of now infamous Tibetan Super Bowl ad that got a lot of criticism. Um, and they had to apologize for the, the tone of that ad. Um, so, you know, that's one example of a sort of a startup that's kind of fell flat with their Super Bowl ad. And another company actually in the same year. 
HomeAway, the vacation rental startup. I don't know if you remember, John, the Super Bowl ad back in 2011, but it was it was the, the baby sort of splatting against the, a, a, a pane of glass. It was a rubber baby. It was sort of lifelike baby. And yeah. they got a lot of criticism for that ad as well. So there's no, no slam dunks here in terms of, uh, you know, a startup spending that kind of money guaranteeing success in terms of brand awareness. Well, you mentioned FTX, too. Talk about that ad. Well, two years ago, right? So this was 2022, um, and this was, you know, by many accounts, the crypto bull. I mean, we saw so many crypto ads a couple years ago, and FTX was, you know, really uh, leading the charge there. They had that, you know, ad with Larry David, of course. Um, You know, Larry David has since called himself an idiot for participating in that ad. We know what has happened. Of course, FTX, since the company went bankrupt, uh, their founder is behind bars. Uh, and and so you know it's it's a, it's really um, certainly no guarantee for success if you show up at the Super Bowl and and that's certainly quite a, a amount a huge amount of money to pay um, especially if you're you know a pre revenue generating startup and Hallow is an, is a really interesting example right because you know when two years ago when the venture capital market was flush with cash you know, startups had a ton of money to spend FTX and others right uh, you know fast forward two three years. Um, the market is way different for startups. And so the fact that a company, uh, a venture-backed startup, is spending on a Super Bowl ad is certainly noteworthy um, in, in, a, in an era where cash is not quite as easy to come by. You know, in the case of the FTX ad, ironically, it was Larry David saying, I'm never wrong about this stuff. I don't think so. This FTX thing, he was sort of the, the naysayer and, and the butt of the joke in the ad. Turns out it was prescient, but that was because maybe there were some underlying fundamental problems with the company. And in the case of Hollow, though, here you have a uh, an intriguing Super Bowl ad, not as funny as the Larry David one, but the company seems to be a, a li- much simpler. It's an app that engages you in ways to pray and meditate and think and relax and connect with your faith. And I don't see how... You know, anything's going to go bust about that. Did you draw a conclusion, uh, Jim? Was the was it a good spend on their part for the Super Bowl commercial? You know, I think it was, and and here's why. And and the founder sort of mentioned this to me is that it's really a lot about the timing of the Super Bowl for for Hallow. You know, it's sort of its own Super Bowl, like its own biggest day of its company is Ash Wednesday, is the Lent season. That's where most people sort of download the app for the first time, get introduced to Hallow. And the Super Bowl fell just before Ash Wednesday. And so that um, happens about really once every 10 to 15 years or so. Um, and so it, it, they, they really saw a big opportunity in advance of Ash Wednesday, in advance of Lent, mm-hmm. to get a ton of eyeballs on their app. And so, um, you know, what they, what they you know, count as you know, metrics for success would tell you that yes, it was a it was a successful use of, of their money, and they got um, you know new eyeballs, and um, you know they want they want to you know I was talking to the founder, they want to meet uh, you know potentially new users where they are, right? They don't want to just advertise to churches and to folks sure. who are watching sermons online, right? They're trying to find a whole new group of audience that are they're not doing that, but they're you know they're watching football games. Uh, real quick, uh, talk to me about the robot that's going to give you a manicure. I. I'm a little terrified of that thing, to be honest with you. Yeah, you know, this is a startup called Ten Beauty, um, and yes, they have created what they say is the first fully automatic uh, manicure robot. Um, this thing does the full process. Uh, they, they're not just painting nails. They can. Rem- this robot can remove polish, trim your nails, file nails, cut cuticles, and apply polish in a top coat. 
Um, you know, we talk about robots replacing jobs all the time, and someone will say, well, you know, not robots aren't going to totally replace jobs. This is a one-for-one replacement. This is a we are replacing the human with a robot company. And this is not a, a, a tabletop uh, robot for your home. This is a business. So they're you know, kind of targeting uh, hair salons and gyms and places where they you know, typically don't have manicure services. Um, they've currently got retail partners at uh, Nordstrom and Ulta Beauty, and the company says it's already sold out of its first run of 1,000 machines. So a uh, really interesting company here in 10 Beauty. And it's not uh, uh, you know, a humanoid-looking robot so much as it sounds like um, something that almost has these dimensions of one of those uh, DVD disc players, one of those uh, you know, where you stick your hand maybe in a console. Is that what happens? And it does all of the work in there. Is it something like that, Jim? Yeah, and it's got little pods for the different polishes. So it's almost kind of like a you know, an oven meets Keurig kind of device, right, <laughs> where you can just sort of put your hand in there and let the machine sort of do its, do the, do its work. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you know, to be determined if this is the future of, of, uh, the, of, of manicures. But, um, but, yeah, definitely an interest, interesting swing here from 10 Beauty. Well, if, it, if people are satisfied with the results, if you like the look, that's great. I just think if I'm putting my hand in a machine and it's going to cut my nails and my cuticles and it's not going to, you better not make any mistakes there, Jack. That sounds kind of scary to me. I guess, I guess they've got that figured out, huh, Jim? Yeah, and you know, the fact that they've got these retail partnerships tells me that it's certainly on the safe side, right? Yeah. So, like Nordstrom yeah. is not going to put these machines in there if it's uh, <laughs> cutting off the tips of pinkies, right? So, I think that, I think that they've they've got the science down. Jim Dalkey is the national editor at American Inno. Click on ChicagoInno.com. Thanks a lot, Jim. Thanks, John. More business news now on the Wintrust Business Lunch. Here is Steve Grzanich. Start your timer. It's time for the Wintrust Business Minute, sharing Chicago's business news of the day. Chicago's largest employers grew their employee headcount in 2023. According to data compiled by Cranes, headcounts rose 6% from 2022 to 2023 among the largest area companies. That list includes 25 organizations, and they employed 482,182 workers during the period. Advocate Health had the largest increase in headcount count up 43 percent after a merger with Atrium Health. The U.S. government and Chicago Public Schools were first and second on the list, employing a combined 95,000 full-time workers. United Airlines will join some of its competitors in raising bag fees. The Chicago-based carrier is upping the fee to check the first bag to $40 from $35. The fee for a second check bag climbs to $50. United will offer a $5 discount when customers prepay online at least 24 hours in advance. American Airlines also recently raised its check baggage fees. Airlines collected an estimated $33 billion in baggage fees last year. I'm Steve Grzanich, and that's your Wintrust Business Minute. Here's the business of food with Steve Alexander. Yeah, thank you. And let's begin with the words of Mr. Freddie Mercury. We are the champions. Again! Now let's see who's on the line. This is Mark Schleusener, state statistician for Illinois with the USDA's National Agricultural Statistics Service. Mark is the USDA's number cruncher in Springfield, and the numbers are in for the amount of corn and beans harvested in Illinois last year, and they are big. Mark will share them after I thank the Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com for sponsoring us today. There's never been a better time to put a Silverado in your toolbox Okay, let's begin with corn. Iowa may be number one in total corn production as a state, but 
the number one county in the nation. Just get on the Stevenson in Chicago and go south for about two and a half hours. For total production of corn, McLean County ranked first across the entire U.S. with more than 70 million bushels of corn produced last year. And? Iroquois, Livingston, Champaign, Bureau, and LaSalle counties were ranked second through sixth in total corn production nationally. Okay, let's go to soybeans, and we are number one in soybeans, too. Tazewell County had the highest average yield in Illinois at 74.7 bushels per acre, and that yield was also the highest across the U.S. And? The next nine highest yielding counties across the U.S. were all located in Illinois. They are? Pyatt, Moultrie, Champaign, and Sangamon counties. Each of those counties averaged more than 72 bushels per acre in 2023. And for the total production of soybeans, the most coming out of one county, it's back to McLean County. Ranked first in the U.S. again with 21.6 million bushels. Livingston, Iroquois, and Champaign counties ranked second through fourth in soybean production nationally. Congratulations to all. Now, if only the price of beans and corn weren't at three-year lows. By the way, if you love numbers like Mark's listener does, here's a website. nas.usda.gov il, then click on county estimates. From the farm to your belly, it's National Pistachio Day, and no, they don't grow well in Illinois. I'm Steve Alexander. That's the business of food on 720 WGN. On the Wintrust Business Lunch, here's Arlene Schiff who is an educational um, education specialist at ElderWorks. Arlene, it's John, and you're back on WGN. How are you? Hi, John. I'm well. I'm ready to join you in London. Doesn't that sound like fun? <laughs> yeah, it sounds great. You know, what we tell people is travel while you can. Uh, when you get old, maybe you'll have the money and the time, but you might not have the knees. So make sure you exactly. do it Exactly. And uh, that's exactly. kind of your business, isn't it? What does ElderWorks do, Arlene? ElderWorks is a not-for-profit organization, and we provide uh, senior living coordination, uh, advocacy, education, resources for you know older adults, seniors. We provide resources to families. You know, if you need help navigating aging, which we all do, we can help you with with just about anything with supportive services, education, home care benefits. You know, does mom need to stay in her home and, and age independently there, or is she better off in a, in a community setting? We can help, help you in any which way like that. What's the number one service or question that you get? Well, there's, there's a few of them. One, do you think it's really dementia that mom has and should she be living alone? And then, you know, does, can mom stay in her home or do we need to, um, move her into a, an independent or assisted living or even a skilled community. And how would you help a family with that? I mean, that's their decision. So what do you provide? You know, there's so many questions that come along with that. Um, you know, are there resources that mom can stay in her home? Mm -hmm. Because most people want to age in place and not have to move. So if, if there's enough support there um, and we can help find the support at home um, or if they're looking, you know, or if they're, you know, really becoming more isolated and they feel that they need a little bit more of a community environment, we can help um, guide them into a community. 
So mom wants to stay at home, say, but she's going to need somebody to help her there. So then is it, mm-hmm. is it a few hours a day or is it 24 hours a day? Do you provide those, those care providers or are you just a resource? You tell them where to get that sort of care. We're a resource and makes the connection. And we can help guide them through the answers of, um, is it a couple hours that mom needs or should it be 24-hour care? Are there people that do that? I suppose there are, huh? Agencies that will hire someone to move in and live in this, the guest bedroom with mom or dad? Oh, absolutely. There's private duty home care agencies across the state. There's probably over 800, if not 900, licensed agencies. And um, we can connect you with one of those agencies to help find you uh, the care that your loved one needs. How about this one? Because I'll just tell you, this is a... A constant drain on my family's resources, and that is getting mom and dad to appointments. So uh, does my sister have to take half a day off to take dad to go get his knee looked at? Or is there somebody that would, it's more than just drop them off. You know, you need to take them, be with them, and bring them back. does, Does that service exist? Absolutely, that service exists. There's there's a couple different ways. There's you know there's services that um, there's a company called Papa that uh, you know they engage people to help like like that. There's there's a variety of different um, companies like that that we can help uh, provide you with the resources for that. And then there's also again the independent private duty home care agencies that that have people to do that. Mm. Um, and, and again, I would encourage you to make sure that these are, you know, licensed, reputable companies that are taking your loved ones to these appointments. And, and when it's a doctor's appointment, you have to also um, weigh the importance of what, what is this appointment about? Is yeah. it something that, you know, your loved one's going to remember all the information that was shared with them? Is the person that's accompanying them, you know, competent and trustworthy enough to make sure that they have all the information? Um, and are they going to be hearing it correctly and being able to relay the information to you? You know, or is it a dental checkup that they really just need yeah. transportation right. and right. somebody to be with them? Arlene Schiff is an education specialist at elderworks.org is the website. Do you all charge, Arlene, for your referrals and service? No, we do not charge. So that's why it's an incredible benefit, and, um, you know, we hope people can take advantage of it. It is, uh, there is no charge. Again, we are a not-for-profit organization, and we offer complimentary services. Okay, I'll talk to you later today then. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Arlene. <laughs> My it's pleasure, John. Nice Thank to you. Talk to you. Isn't that, aren't you glad you heard that conversation? Elder Works with an E, three E's in elderworks.org.